Uh, hey guys, welcome to another episode of Adelamarcy Unplugged. Now, a couple of things before we get started. House rules. One, this show is going to contain a lot of humor. Two, we're going to be talking about a lot of random shit. And three, this is probably one of the most badass motherfuckers I've known in the last 10 years. I'm proud to call him my brother. So that being said, Justin Brooke is on the line with us today. Justin, great to have you on the show, man. Thanks, thanks. The most badass motherfucker without a UFC belt. Let's let's change my title to be correct. Okay. Yeah, okay, we'll just go with that. The most bamfy motherfucker without a USB, US, UFC belt. I can't even speak right now. That's how excited I am. To give you guys a little <laughs> bit of a background, Justin and I have known each other, what, 08, 09? Kind of the time that... Yeah, man, it's been a long time, bro. Yeah, I remember when I was in my first heydays of writing copy and Justin was uh, just... He was doing some other stuff. It was shortly after you left working with Brunson, I think it was. It was before you were working with Sheffrin, I think. Mm-hmm. That was that was so Brunson was 07, Sheffrin was 10, 11. Yeah, cuz you it was oh, my memory's you know fuzzy back then. Yeah, dude, it's been a while, but like um this is how crazy it is that we've known each other for so long and I think I want to thank you to start with more than anything. Uh, it's your fault that this podcast is the way it is. Okay. And the reason I say that is because I interviewed you when we were first getting I'm so changed. sorry to all the listeners. Do I just have to apologize now? Is I made him an asshole. Shit, I made him an asshole. <laughs> he did. He did make me this. It was fun. But no, what he said, what happened was um, I actually interviewed you and uh, it was for like a product I was creating and I was doing the same thing that everyone was doing, you know, the team, 10 same fucking questions. I thought it was going to be like an hour-long interview. It took 22 minutes. I could hear how bored you were on the phone. And I was like, <laughs> I'm glad we're friends, but this is the most boring interview I've ever done. And you were like, all right, man, see you later, done. And I was like, that's never happened to me before. So when I started this podcast, I thought back that moment. I was like, I never want to have a podcast or an interview with anyone where they're bored shitless. So like four years into making this show, I was like, I'm going to get this motherfucker back on here and just see how long it can go. Now that being said, he might just cut the show off at thirty minutes just to be a dick. Just <laughs> well, I have twenty one percent on my battery, so we'll see how that goes. If it dies, it's not because it's boring. But real quick, shout out to the sponsor of the show because as always, um, we got adelmarcy.com. You guys can go check out the other episodes there. Sign up for some free cool shit that we're doing and get on the list for the podcast. Check out adskills.com. That's a d s k i l l s dot com. Link in the description. That's Justin's um, actual website and his business. It's actually amazing. It's got some great stuff on the Hoss ad networks. And also, I think you can get on the Daily Edge. Is it the Daily Edge that your newsletter's called? Yeah, there's a green button on the homepage that says start for free, and that'll get you on the Daily Edge. Probably the most info and action-packed content out there because there's some people that like just smother you with info and it's too much. Justin makes it like super cool and chill. So like you, it's like you're at a buffet and you're enjoying every bite of stuff that he just gives you and it's amazing. And I'll just you'll, you'll 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 thank me later. Just go do it. Thank me later. Enjoy it and now shut up and listen to the man because he's hilarious. So Justin, what have you been up to? Because right now, if I'm not mistaken, you are traveling again. Well, not exactly at this moment, but that is going to be happening. When I made the RV announcement, I did not know that there is a process after you actually purchase the RV. So, yeah, I will be traveling all all around the U.S. Um, You know, we're going to go full time. We're trying to do a whole year, but I won't be able to leave till March. So they're kind of 
ruining my whole year RV vibe thing. They're killing my headline. Now it's going to be like nine months in an RV instead of a whole year. But uh, so what happens is once you buy it, then they have to build it and because it's brand new. Yeah. So the factory's building it. Then they got to ship it to the dealership. Then we go pick it up, do the walkthrough and all that stuff. But yeah, man, full time traveling, kids homeschooled, living the Internet life. Yep. Trying keeping to it, keeping it bamfy as always. I still like uh, like right now. It's it's really strange to me because I think like when I first got you on the show, you like wanted you get on here, get you on the show. You're like, I'm in Texas right now. I'm in over here right now. I'll be back home soon, and we'll sort it out. I was like, yeah. just got to get him at one point. So where am I? Some- it's gotten it's gotten weird when people ask me like, where's home? Yeah, because you feel like <laughs> yeah, because it's it's almost like when we're home, we're on vacation because we're only here for a little bit. Does that make sense? Yeah, like you're not really based out of like your home. Like HQ is more like a holiday home because you're, you're spending so much time elsewhere. Yeah, we've pretty much been traveling since somewhere early 2016. Nah, nah, dude. 2015. 2015. It was 2015, yeah. if I remember correctly. And, you know, we, we probably should talk about something relevant at some point in this spot. <laughs> we, should, we should totally get into that. But yeah, just a quick heads up to everyone that's listening, right? So Justin's worked with practically almost everyone that's the who's who. And to give you an idea, if I remember correctly, he started out like just... He, he went... He's basically the Rax to Riches story that you hear of. He took an apprenticeship with Brunson... Uh, Russell Brunson, this is from ClickFunnels. Worked with Russell Brunson, learned a whole ton of stuff, went out there, did some more stuff on his own, uh, became a really, really amazing copywriter, which is how he and I met. And then um, he decided to like work with Rich Sheffer for a, few, for a little bit in Florida. And then after that, it was, if I'm not mistaken, you kind of had a revelation, because I remember this. You kind of went from, all right, I've done everything I need to do in the copywriting world. Let me see what I can do in the traffic world. And you just started really going heavy duty into understanding like traffic sources and all the other fun stuff. I've always been curious well, about it. Sort of, sort of. So uh, what it was is I had realized, like, here's what happened. When I went to go work for Rich Sheffron, I had kind of realized that I didn't want to be a copywriter because every time I would write a webinar, a VSL script, a sales, whatever – they would like pass it on to their friends to judge it. Yeah, that's really cool. But their friends aren't copywriters, you know. So it's like they're like asking their buddies, "Hey, what do you think about this thing that my copywriter just wrote?" And they're not even trained. They haven't read any of the books that I've read. They haven't done anything, you know, gotten any of the results that I've gotten. And then they come back to me and they tell me it's kind of like I remember my days as a web designer which was really horrible and goes back before the Brunson days where I would like design a website for somebody and then they'd go ask their sister and their mom if they liked it. And then they'd come back and say, Oh, can you make it more edgy? Can you add some, you know, flashy stuff to it, whatever. And it was kind of the same thing with copywriting. And I was like, man, I do not want to go down this road. Cause if I write copy, like the thing that you should do when a, when a copywriter writes you a sales letter, you should immediately start testing it with some paid traffic or at least internal. Yep. But 
uh, that's the real judge. Like your buddy and your cousin and you know whatever, your mastermind partners, that's not the real judge of whether that sales letter is going to work. The real judge is if the customers are going to buy from it. And then your copywriter deserves that treatment because they can't learn, they can't get better unless you're showing them like, look, this didn't work or this did work, you know? So I got out of that. And then being with Sheffrin, I already had some traffic skills because I was doing a lot of this stuff for myself with my own products. And so he had me be his traffic guy. And that's where I really got to master traffic because with him, you know, having a job, I didn't have to worry about the entrepreneurial stresses of making sure everything was paid for and worrying about where my paycheck was coming from. I didn't have to worry about having my own budget because he gave me a budget. It was the first time I'd worked with somebody who had a large budget for ads where I could spend five grand, 10 grand at a time. And so working with him, I really got to have the time, the budget, and the environment to really just master traffic. And then once people found out I was Rich Sheffern's traffic guys, like I didn't even try to start an agency. Just people started wanting to pay me money and I didn't say no. <laughs> I think that's like the best way. Do, 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 you, do you want us to give you money? Yes, I always want money. Money is good. <laughs> but that, you know, it turns out to be like a, you know, a curse because I since learned that you shouldn't say yes to everyone because there's some people you can't get good results for. And so like I learned to filter out my clients and that's the real trick to how I've had a good reputation is I just never said yes to anybody. I couldn't like, if I didn't think for sure that I could get a big win for you, I would just tell you, Hey, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not the right guy. And so then every client of mine always had good results yeah, after I, I that before that there was some you know bad horror stories oh yeah no i think you got to go through all those things anyway and just to like touch on this for anyone that's thinking of hiring a copywriter whether it's me or anyone else um test your shit seriously <laughs> I, i'm not i'm not even joking about this i think i have it in every contract because this happened to me back in 2013 i'm not going to name names on there but i'll tell you later this guy um actually <laughs> went to uh the four, the one million dollar in a day online marketer that we both know, they went to him. It wasn't him, like it wasn't John who basically um that I wrote for. It was someone went to John and said, "Hey, could you read this copy for me, please?" And the guy was like, "Yeah, this copy sucks. You've like you've mentioned the same thing over and over again." Now I got the copy back, but he was like, "This sucks." I was like, "This isn't what I wrote. <laughs> this is what you wrote." <laughs> so you can't tell me I suck when you wrote it. Because I wrote something completely different. So it's one of those weird little moments. But I realized from that point on, I put in all my contracts. And this is something I tell everyone. Have an agreement and have um, boundaries and repercussions. So if a client edits my work without first telling me and then runs traffic and it doesn't work, I'm not liable. If they run what I wrote exactly, I'm liable. And I'm okay with that because I'm taking a risk. But at the same time, don't go changing my shit without first asking me. Because right. unless yeah. you're... Unless it, it's the same like um it, you could be like jay abraham I, I don't care if you're jay abraham you could have like had years of traffic but i'm like dude you've not gone into this marketplace with the same hook and angles and all the research i've done the other thing is is people are programmed to give you back to to nitpick like yeah. if you say hey i just i just drew this picture what do you think of it 
people are programmed to say, oh, I like this, but I don't like that. Like, that's just the natural psychology that goes on in somebody's head. It doesn't matter what you're showing them. You could be showing them, you know, a Monet. You could be showing them a scribble from a, a kid, a letter, a video, whatever. Like, when you ask somebody's opinion on something, they naturally feel like they have to say, I like it, but, yeah. you know. And so instead, you should be saying, um, yeah, I, first of all, you should just be running it to traffic, period. Yeah. <laughs> that is like that is the battleground to test out whether or not what something works is not is does someone buy it? It's clear and simple. Does it work? Period. Mm, pretty much it is what it is. Um so like kind of jumping off of that, that I really want to go into is so you basically built up not just a reputation with like picking clients and stuff, and there is an actual rule to this, which I'm gonna ask you about in a minute. Um, how did you actually, uh, like with all the rule changes that come up in ad networks, how did you keep up with that? Because I know you would, um, you do Google ads and you also do Facebook and I think you do a few others as well. Um, how did you like keep up with all the rule changes? People aren't going to like my answer. Nobody Definitely. likes my answer on this one. Just, I just made it a, a decision, a process in my life to every Friday morning I would reread the guidelines you know and it, and it got to the point i don't i don't have it memorized anymore but it got to a point where i had most of the facebook ad guidelines memorized to where like people would ask me something i'd be like well if you scroll down you know this section uh three bullet points down you'll see um and, and because they change them that's what i noticed is it wasn't necessarily that people weren't following the rules it's that the companies just as our own companies are evolving their companies are evolving and the rules are evolving so in order to kind of stay ahead of the game i just settled you know an hour aside every friday morning and i'd reread the rules that's amazing i love that and honestly if no one likes that answer go fuck yourself and get off my show Quite plain simple. <laughs> this is about like working your shit out. We don't do anything by half. I mean, if you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna be a professional, you got to do professional shit, really. Yeah, straight up. You can't half-ass getting ready for a fight and be like, yeah, I'm gonna knock this guy out. I'm sorry, you're gonna end up like Dada five thousand versus Kimbo Slice. Rest in peace. They gassed out after the first round. Right, and then the other thing is, is once you start reading ad guidelines you know like i would read facebook google youtube or not youtube yahoo and then taboola when taboola kind of came around when you start reading multiple ad network guidelines you start to see a pattern and you kind of understand what's really going on and then then you're able to avoid it without even having to read the rules because you just kind of you, you understand what they're looking for after you read it so many times and you've read different ones, you see the patterns and you just kind of know, oh, okay, I just shouldn't even do any of this. Yeah, because again, it's pattern recognition, you know what's going to work and what's not. So something I do want to jump across to from this, because you mentioned it, I know I'm going to get asked about this, is how did you start qualifying your clients? Like, because, again, yeah, you were picking them, but what was the qualification process that you put people through in order to actually, yeah, this person be a good person to work with? It's, it's when I reveal this stuff, it's going to sound like I was absolutely cheating at the game, but <clears throat> y'all should just steal this. So first qualification was, 
are you already running paid traffic to whatever you want me to run paid traffic to? <clears throat> and if you weren't, then I'm, I'm not going to be the guy. I'm not going to be the guinea pig. Yep. <clears throat> I would, I would literally say that I wouldn't say it in a rude way. I would say, you know, I'm just uh, my service. We don't test new offers. There's other agencies out there that are designed to test new offers. That's just not what we do. And then the other one was, is see in the beginning, I thought I'm going to charge less than everybody else that way I'll get more clients and then because I'm such a badass, I'll be able to like upsell them and you know get more money out of them later. That was stupid. Mm-hmm. And I realized that all the, the guys on top were probably laughing at me behind my back because when you charge lower prices, who who is most likely to afford the lower prices? Guys with working funnels or guys with non-working funnels? Guys with non-working funnels. And so I made my minimum price be $25,000 per month. That wasn't my minimum price, but the minimum ad spend they could be using per month. And so there's nobody that is able to spend $25,000 per month over and over again that has a bad funnel. Yep. It, It works, you know. So... But there is lots of people who are able to spend $5,000 and then they're like, it better work because that's my last $5,000. Yeah, you don't need that type of pressure ever. Right. So by by asking if they were already running paid traffic to it and then are you comfortable spending at least $25,000 a month, I knew right away. You know, And then the other question I would ask them is I would ask them what their CPA is. And if they would say, like, what's a CPA? Nah, er. You know, or or if they say, oh, you know, we don't know it yet. Or, no. Yeah, those those three questions would instantly filter out anybody that was not going to be the right client. And I don't I'm not trying to sound cocky or anything, but it was just the way that I was able to filter out clients that I knew I'd be able to do well for because they already had a proven funnel. They already had the ad spend to allow me to be able to have a winning situation to jump into. Well, you're not being, first of all, I'm just going to say this much. You're not being cocky here. You're being fucking clever because there's enough times where like I've written for clients and I'm like, oh, how many like marketing funnels have you run? How many businesses have you run? Oh, this is my first one. I don't want that pressure because if I fuck this up, then that's jading an entire community. But more importantly, you're putting all, that's so much pressure. I don't have the time to deal with this. Like get something that works and then we'll go from it. Um, and that's actually killer because I'm actually going to be swiping that for qualification purposes just simply because it works. Uh, and then it goes one step further because what was really interesting was when I would use that, like in my sales process, people were completely not used to being told no on a sales call, like on a sales call, they're expecting for them to be the ones saying no, but for the the guy who's doing the selling to be like, no, this isn't going to work it would just immediately turn the conversation around to where now all of a sudden they're like selling me to be a client. Yeah. And so on a few occasions where I really liked the product or like the person or like I I had a insight to the market, you know, on on a few occasions I would say, look, I'll, I'll do this, but because this is an unproven funnel, you've got a one, you have to agree to a minimum three months 
and then you also have to sign a waiver that ROI is completely not the goal. Like our goal is to establish your baseline numbers to figure out where you're at and then we'll get to ROI, but like you're not going to be judging me on ROI on a brand new funnel because that's impossible. You don't even know if it works yet. Yeah, that makes complete it's, sense. Yeah, so I get them to sign off on those two things, and it takes all the risk away from me and allows us to work together. And I helped uh, I helped a few people really get off the ground by, by doing that kind of situation. Oh, yeah, I mean, of course you would because, again, at the base level of everything, you're a good dude. You know, it's just a thing that you do. Now, there is something I was curious about that um, isn't so much to do with digital buys and spend, but more to do with the psychology. And that is actually like, I really want to figure out, and I've asked a couple of people this already, how do you think big companies like say the UFC or even boxing promotions bring so many people in to watch their events? And can you, you can replicate that for like your marketing business and your launch and stuff, but how would you personally go about doing it? I have a big budget. Uh, yeah, I guess so. What would you say? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sorry to answer you so simply, but I mean, if we're talking about UFC, they've got millions of dollars. It's not. Yeah. See, here's the thing: people don't have a traffic problem. Everybody thinks they have a traffic problem. It's very easy. All you have to do is write a check. If you could swipe a credit card and you could write a check, you can get all the traffic in the world. But the problem is, can you convert that traffic? Can you make that traffic profitable? Because if not, then you're not going to want to spend the money because you, you're afraid that you're not going to make your money back. See, the UFC, they know they, they've got a sales process that they can make the money back. Not only that, but they have investors. So when, when you're talking about big, big companies like that and they have investors, there's different metrics than what we're talking about. So their, their metrics are like, you know, how many people can we get in the door? How many new names? You know, because they're playing a much longer game. Yeah. Also, they've got these very dialed in sales processes to where they know they're going to make the money back. These guys have accountants that create financial models and spreadsheets that show, you know, beyond any doubt, like with all the numbers and the math and everything, that if they – charge this and it's a recurring price and they get this many people and they can keep their cost below like they know on a spreadsheet how much money they can and cannot spend and they just you know put the pedal to the metal yeah i mean that's something i'm actually glad that you got into because a bit of a trick question here is because i've been asked the same thing about oh how would you attract people using direct response using this that the other like, you know what fuck it i'm just gonna get justin to answer this one for me this makes my life a lot easier because, you know, if I say it, I'm going to get like 50 more questions. If you say it, I'm like, I'm sorry, I only got him on the show this one time and it was a, <laughs> so I don't have to answer that question again. Reach out to him, pay him money, see what happens. Plain right. and simple. Yeah. just makes my life a lot easier. But with that, like... If you, if, you got a, if you got a good sales process that works, I could drive an unlimited amount of traffic. Yeah, it's... Hell yes. I mean, I think it was Halibut that said it best was... Um, it, it doesn't really, it's it's an offer problem with a lot of people in the sense of if I wrote a letter and it was giving me $2 for every single thing I, I mailed out, yeah, I'll throw as much money as I want to that thing because it's giving me a two to one return on investment. I'm good with that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So people just uh, have to sort that shit out. Now, something I want to talk about personally because it is a curious question about Conor McGregor. 
which camp do you sit in? Are you a pro McGregor fan or are you a non? Are you not a fan of McGregor? Man, they should have let him keep fighting. Yeah, they I stopped agree. that fight early because they needed boxing to win. You know, I think the whole thing is look. I'm not saying it's scripted and planned out like wrestling, but I'm saying that there's a plan. Like yeah. people talk about it ahead of time. They know what they're doing. I mean, just like they run financial models a year out in their spreadsheets for their ad campaigns. You don't think they're doing this for their, you know, marketing campaigns, their TV campaigns. You know, they knew before the Mayweather fight that the UFC was going to buy boxing. Yep. And so, you know, you need Mayweather to win. Because if Mayweather loses and the UFC is going to buy boxing, that's a really bad purchase. Yep. Because, I mean, it kind of just said that MMA killed boxing. So, but I mean, whatever. That's conspiracy stuff. You can't prove it. I'm a Mayweather fan, huge Mayweather fan. Um, I still think in MMA, I don't really think he's been tested. Other than other Nate. than Nate Diaz. Yeah. Nate was the last to test. Guy. Right. Like, everybody else, nobody's tested this guy. He hasn't really fought the big names and he needs more testing to be honest he but, fought Aldo. Hey, he fought bro Aldo. came in and made a hundred million dollars he's done he don't need to test nothing oh pretty much yeah dude like well do you know what the actual numbers were when he took home after all the payments and everything else came through no what uh in the region about 280 <clears throat> mm. see like i mean that's the thing is connor he's i think he's a good fighter i don't think he's GSP, Matt Hughes, Anderson Silva, you know, I don't I don't think he's a you know like world I don't know. I don't world, know. I don't want he's not he's not a world beater. Let's say what it is. He's not like Well, he, he probably come kick my ass, so I should watch what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> but what I'm saying is like what he was great at is the game. He showed people that there is more to winning at the UFC game than just punching and kicking. Oh, yeah. There's the whole like publicity, marketing, uh, the showmanship, the words, picking your fights, picking your opponents. Like he came in and he just completely played a different game and he won the game more so than he won the fights, but he has two belts. So whatever. Yeah. Well, to be fair, that's another thing as well. He won the belts, but let's be honest. He fought Aldo, which I will give him credit for. Aldo is a beast, but I think his best days are behind him because he's talking about retirement and shit. I'm like, at that point, you should just quit. Um, and I'm saying that as a fan. But the other thing as well is he fought Eddie Al uh, Alvarez, right? Eddie's a tough fighter, no doubt about it. But if you've got a division where you got Tony Ferguson... Khabib Nurmagomedov, um, what's his name, uh, Edson Barboza. You got those three dudes in the top five, and you're fighting. And, and, and notice Conor McGregor's at home right now, right? Yeah. You know, like he ain't coming in to try and fight these guys. You yeah. know what he wants? He wants to take the retirement fight for Jose Aldo because that's the thing. He's good at the game. Yep, and he's really smart about marketing himself and the way that he's doing it. It's all about the way he positions himself. Yeah. And, like, you know, he leveraged the shit out of that um, fight with, uh, what's his face, Mayweather, because 
on the back end of that, not only was he like, yeah, you know what, I'm just going to fight this guy. It's like, nope, I've actually got my own whiskey brand. I got my own um, <laughs> suits. I got this to happening, that happening. And it's like, dude just walked off with more money than you can imagine. Man, he, he knew how to – he was playing – everybody thought there was like a, a fighting, but there was a whole other thing. There was a whole other game being played than just fighting. Oh, yeah. And that's something that I love about like the psychology of people, especially when you're looking at like buyers and stuff like that, because it's just incredible. Um, now, jumping off of that as well to kind of like transition back into psychology of humanity, one thing I really, really enjoyed about like what Conor McGregor does in particular is he uses the fine line between hype and backing up. And the way that you do this with marketing, I think you wrote this as well. Customer sophistication has improved and increased and become more sophisticated over the last 10 years simply because back then you could write a headline saying, I'm going to show you how to make $100,000 blogging from home three days a week. You can't write that headline anymore and watch it work because right. the customer set, uh, their sophistication has increased. So I'd say mm-hmm. you need to use, a, I personally don't use hype as much, but you need a balanced level between hype and backup you need to be able to back up what you say right yeah everybody loves to point at the you know the old headlines and and and, i mean they're still true a lot of those things work but i think that they're the foundation that you should build your headlines and your copy from not something you should swipe directly because like you said it's the customer it's different now. They, they've seen those headlines. People see on average, I think they said uh, a thousand ads a day. It's, it's crazy. Wow. That is an incredible amount of ads every single day. Between, between, like, between their car, you know, they're in their car, they're hearing radio ads. They're at work, they see the news, they're on the, on the computer, they see ads, they see ads on their phone. You're driving, you see billboards. Like, we see so many ads now that we actually don't see the ads, if that makes sense. Like, we, because your your eyes uh, and your brain ha- have a survival instinct, you can't take in too much information. So your brain has learned to filter out most of the advertisements because it just can't take in all that information. Yeah. and Real shit. You can Google this. I'm not making it up. Oh, hell no. I know it is. Like, it's one of those things. I mean, you can only take in about 2,000 pieces of information per second, considering there's, like, billions of, like, pieces of information every second happening around you. Your brain can only hold on to 2,000. If you think about how many, how much of that is ads, your brain's filtering out the stuff it doesn't want to see. So it's just banner blindness is what it is, but ad blindness in some sense. And something I'm going to, like, jump off the point that you just said, Spore, was... The old headlines are great. They're great to build the foundation of what you're building onto. The problem isn't just so much the swiping. It's no one looks at the evolution of what comes next. So, mm-hmm. like, um, I was having this conversation with a woman, uh, with several people, actually, but it was particularly a woman that was saying this. It was a junior writer saying you shouldn't study old headlines and old writing styles. I'm like, why? She goes, because they don't work. I'm like, no, they do work. I'm just saying, don't you don't rip them off verbatim. Like, look at what the language is and why they're using it because it's very, very subliminally uh, influential what they're saying. Versus, I'm going to rip this exact halibut headline uh, into my copy. It's not going to work the same way because it's not meant for the same customer. 
different pains, different right. points, and everything else in between. So, and, and a different time. It's it's yeah. it's a different market, a different customer, a different business, and a different time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't have the ad that says, uh, "Did you stop beating your woman? Here's how you should go back to doing it." You can't have that headline anymore. I mean, that is a legit headline that was from the nineteen thirties. Yeah. I fucking love that that was actually one of them and like <laughs> how to like have your woman bring you slippers and uh, your drink as soon as you walk in through the door. Like, Yeah, I've got a whole book of like old advertisements and one of the chapters in the book is like all of the sexist, racist, just absolute lies, like the, the worst ads of history. What book is this? I want to pick it up. <laughs> uh, let me see real quick. Hold on. Just a sec. I walk out to my bookcase here. It is Outdated Advertising by Lewis and Spignessi. Oh, dude, that sounds amazing. I'm going to order that shit right now. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole book of outdated ads, old stuff, and then there's a whole chapter of just things that <laughs> I'm so glad they, they disallowed what they were saying. It's <laughs> so brilliant. Oh man! All right, so I'm gonna actually throw this one in as well. Uh, it's a good book as well. It's um, ah oh, shit! It's by Julian Watkins. I can't remember the book name now, but I'm gonna look it up. Julian Watkins. Uh, it's basically what ads. Yeah, the hundred greatest advertisements between 1852 and 1958. Who wrote them and what they did? Right. That's just, yeah. that's just a good book to read and. FYI, if you're ever thinking about applying to work with Justin or his company, I'm going to give you guys a little heads up. Um, read every book under the fucking sun you can. Find out what's in his library and let him know because that's how I got in initially when I was supposed to work with him. The only reason we didn't was <laughs> so I couldn't fly out to the US, which was a, shit, a real shit show that's still continuing on. It's not that's because one I'm of the first questions. That's two of the questions we ask in hiring is... What are what are the last three books you read, and what are um, three people you admire? Yeah, it it's a great way again qualification if they're not on the right same if they're on the same. And scale. people lie about both of them. <laughs> I fucking love that. I'm like, why would you lie? Just just be real. But that's the thing. The thing the thing is, is see what I learned is at first in my like earlier days of hiring, I just believed what they said. And then I knew that they were lying, and I was bummed out about it. But now, why did they? Li- why did they choose that lie? What does that say about them? So it's like another level of hiring is, oh, okay, he chose that person. I don't think it's actually true that he chose that person, but what is he trying to tell me about himself and what he cares about? Yeah, I mean, it's funny because like, there's um, have you ever there's a book I'd recommend to everyone because we had this guy on the show last year, um, Chase Hughes, The Ellipsis Manual. Mm, no, I haven't heard of it. It's probably the most comprehensive book on body language and behaviors, and it's amazing. And the reason I bring that up is because you do a lot of this kind of like going backwards and saying, "What are they thinking? Why did they choose this? What are they trying to portray and communicate to me subconsciously?" Like um, it's one of those one of those incredible things. Now, real quick before we actually jump on to my favorite question of the show, I did want to ask, um, how do you actually start hiring and building a team around you? Because that's kind of like a big thing a lot of people are finding out is having a team around you. So, what is the process that you go through? 
Oh, you know, I got to say, of all the things in business, hiring is probably my weakest area, but I have learned a lot because I've just got war scars from hiring. First thing that I would tell people is just because you have a batch of job applicants doesn't mean you need to hire one of them. You can do another round of recruiting. See, that's where I messed up is, you know, I put a job ad out and we'd get 32 or 69 or, you know, whatever, however many people applied for the job. And then like we would get down to three, you know, narrow it down. And then I, I would feel like I had to hire one of them. You don't, that's like just something you made up in your mind. You can just put the job out again, job ad out again. If you didn't find that person, now, how do you know if it's that person? Well, we have learned that if it's not a fuck yes, it's a fuck no. So if, you, if you're not looking at this person, if you're not thinking like, oh, my God, we have to get this person. If we don't, we're just, you know, we're fuck ups. If we don't hire this person, we're going to be ruined. If they go work for somebody else, they're going to, you know, slaughter us. Like, if you're not thinking that about the person, it's probably not the right person to hire. Yeah, I agree with that entirely. I mean, um, right now I think I've let go of uh, two of my staff members. I just brought in someone else to actually help me with the podcast now. So they come in and they basically take care of everything, which is lovely. Good. Except for, you know, doing this part because I enjoy doing this part. They take care of like all the uploads and all the um, posting on my blog and putting it out for me. It's lovely. Now, my favorite questions are coming up, and the reason I ask these ones one in particular... Second. I want to I I add a little bit more to that oh, one. Oh, shit. Go, go for it. Go. Uh, so the other thing is, is always have, like, a dating period. Don't just say, like, oh, you're hot. Okay, you made it through the interview process. So I recently did a mastermind, workshop, event, seminar, whatever you want to call it. I did it in Jamaica. We had, like, 15 people out there, some really high-level people, and I asked them, you know, what's their biggest hiring tip or mistake. And kind of the common theme was r much longer interview processes than what most people are used to. Like most people are used to, you put a job ad out, people reply, you kind of do your initial like email filtering. And then maybe you have some interviews, maybe you have a second interview. That's usually the most people go through. Well, what I was getting through, you know, what I was hearing from these companies Big companies, very successful companies, all of them were saying like four calls, in-person meeting. like, And then after you get through this really long interview uh, or this really long like interviewing, hiring sequence, then you don't even – you're not even brought on full-time. You're brought on as like a two-week project. And if that project goes well and you like working together, then finally you're hired. That has helped me out so much. And then also, last thing is, you know, really making sure that you know what that person's going to do for the first 90 days. Because the first 90 days, you can't be expecting this person to come into a new job and, like, all of a sudden start just generating great results for you. You've got to have a plan. You know, what are they going to do? How are they supposed to do it? How much, how long is it supposed to take them? You know, what are the common mistakes? 
How, when the mistake is made, how will you handle that? Like, you got to think through all of that stuff before you go and just hire somebody. Damn, that's a lot to think about. And actually really good tips as well, because you want to have, we want to make sure that you like actually have that culture built in. So when people it's come the in. most expensive thing you'll ever do in your business is hiring. If you think about it, every, every person you hire, depending on where you're hiring from, but like if you're hiring a U.S. person, it's probably at least a $30,000 to $50,000 purchase that you're making. And so if you plan on having, you know, hiring four or five people over the next two or three years, you're talking about making $200,000 worth of decisions. Yeah, you, you should probably think about it a little bit longer than you thought about whether you were going to do Active Campaign or Infusionsoft. That's quite true. That's actually really, really true and actually a really powerful thing to know. See, that's why I usually like hire local in the UK. You can usually find people to like get started and bring them on. That's not saying you can't use universities because that's actually another way, especially with digital marketing becoming more of a thing, you can hire right out of college for people. Yeah, yeah. Do, then, do a dating period. Um, have, a, have a friend who does an interview. So like if me and you, like you, we could set up an arrangement where if I'm hiring someone, I would say, okay, I'm going to interview you, but then Adel's going to interview you next. And then you, you're going to hear different things. You're going to ask different questions than I would have. Now me and you can have like a context when we're talking about it. So yeah, I mean, definitely it, have multiple interviews. I would also suggest that if you're doing this, don't do the copywriter's friend-buddy method of where they don't know shit. Just make sure that they actually speak to someone that's qualified as well because they'll be like, I like that guy. He likes the UFC. We should hire him. It's like, no, <laughs> you dumbass. You need to actually run my ads. Can you, can you can we sort this shit out? Thank you. Um, just, you know, make sure it's qualified. Now, moving on from that, and I do want to move on because this is a really, really fun question for me. And, uh, yeah, me, and we only have that. 11% battery left. That's so. what I mean. I got to like, run through this shit. I'm surprised we got this far with like 21. But my favorite question of all time still has to be like when you were knocked on your ass, and there are times because I remember we've had conversations where you've been knocked on your ass, um, you know, what actually brought that confidence back up to get back up and take it to the next level? Like, I want to know what your psycho uh, psychology was and what your actions were. Um, these days it's more of a mindset of like, I don't even know how to quit. Like what, what else am I going to do? Like, I'm, I'm seriously asking, I will ask that question to anybody. Okay. What else am I going to do? Okay. I, 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 I quit tomorrow. Now what? Like, start over. <laughs> you know, like you just do it again. Yeah, that's so. That's just I'm on. A, at this point, twelve years into the game, having restarted three times in my in those twelve years, I'm just so fearless against any kind of failure or anything like that. Like, you know, it's just another day. You know, it's a hard day, and tomorrow I'll do it again, and that's it. But you know, in the earlier days, things were much more scary and kind of, you know, the, the phrase that really stuck with me is, um, I was watching Eric Thomas, ET, the hip hop preacher, mm -hmm. uh, many years ago. And it was like season two of his show. I still think season two is the best 
of Eric Thomas. And he said something one day. He said that an eagle uses the negative energy of a storm to propel itself higher, and then he can fly where no other birds can fly. And that just, I was like, man, wow. I mean, you know, sometimes these quotes and whatever don't you know resonate with everyone, but that one just hit me, and I was like, man, that's it. That's it. I'll use all this, like, the sadness and the depression and the anger and the frustration and, you know, all this negative energy, I'll use that to drive myself even higher so that I can fly where nobody else can. And that's just kind of stuck with That's so fucking badass as well. Just, like, from, like, an outsider's perspective, that's so cool. And plus, also, Eric Thomas is, like, a really cool dude. I love that guy. And, And if you can adapt that kind of mindset... What can hurt you? Yeah. Because anything that could hurt you is actually empowering you even more. And so, yeah, that's that's just uh, kind of been ingrained into my being ever since. I think 2011 was like my last really hard year. 2013 was hard, but you know, 2013 was like the the most money I ever made. But it was also my I was the brokest I ever was. Because all the money was going out in payroll, expenses, just I was just spending money like crazy. And so 2013 was a hard year, but it was not a hard year like financially. And we just changed our business model where 2010, between 2009 and 2010, it was like desolation. Like I didn't know what I was going to do. Yeah, I, th- I think we've all been there at one point or the other. Yeah. It's just a fucking harsh place. But something I would, just to jump on your advice here as well, is um, something I did for a while and it really helped out was like putting 10% of whatever I was paid aside in an account that I would never touch. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really smart too. Yeah, we have much different... Uh, finances now than we ever had before. We have multiple business entities. We've got accounting and we've got various accounting processes and tax reduction processes. So the more you the more you learn to manage your money, the better you're gonna do. You're gonna last. In I agree entirely. I think I fucked that one up the harshest way uh, possible a couple of years ago. When I got a tax bill that I didn't even know I was supposed to pay, I was like, are you kidding me? I don't even make this much money. And they were like, yeah, well, no, you actually do. We've been looking. I was like, oh, shit, fair enough. I need to sort this out. So I hired an accountant and got it done. But it was an expensive lesson and one that I won't repeat ever again. So, you know, keeping shit smart. Now, my favorite question is coming up right now, which is quite simply, what three pieces of advice would you give to any entrepreneur that's plateauing or on the, they're basically on the downswing right now, but they're about to hit their upswing. Like, what advice would you give them as they're about to, you know, go through that? Well, they're at the breakthrough point, the plateau. What are we talking about here? All right. So let's just say there's two types of people. So you can either give them the same advice, or you can give it like one for each or whatever it is. So you got people that are plateauing. Like, they're like, all right, I'm comfortable here, but I'm bored. And then there's other people that are like, I was doing good, now I'm doing shit, and I don't know how to get out of this hole. So those like those are the two people. Okay. All right. So you got one who's in a hole, needs a way out. You got one who's plateauing, getting bored. 
the getting bored one, this happened to me. And so it was like for so long in the early days, usually everybody's goal is to get to six figures. Yeah. And then your goal is to get to seven figures and you want to be able to like live this internet lifestyle and all that jazz, you know, and everybody words it a different way and the different numbers and whatever. But essentially that's everybody's goal when they start is I want to be full time, make six figures, seven figures, work from home. Well, when all that happens, then what? Yeah. You know, that's, it, it really, it, it really, it kills entrepreneurs. They end up, what they end up doing is they start self-sabotaging because they only know how to get up to that point. They had a goal and then you reached a goal and it's like, well, it's like you climbed the top of the mountain. You, you ran the race. It's over. Now what, you know? And so what you have to do is you have to come up with another bigger goal or you have to start in the beginning with a bigger goal. Like instead of six figures, seven figures, you know, I'm going to change this industry, you know, and that's kind of where I'm at now is I'm trying, I'm not really, obviously I'm trying to make as much money as I can, but I'm not really counting the money. I'm counting how much am I changing this industry and not just by my own courses and my own customers, but through the process of me raising the bar, how is it affecting other companies? You know, is it raising the bar on all training in the court, in the, in the industry, because I've set a certain bar. And if not, then I need to set a higher bar. And if not, I need to set a higher bar. You know, like that's where my head is at now. And, and that's a goal that I'll probably never hit, but it's one that I can chase and chase and chase and chase and will help my business. It will help my customers. It will help me. It helps everybody. So that's the, the, the plateau person. You need a bigger goal. You need something that scares you again because you were scared before because you weren't making enough money to make ends meet. You need to get scared again. Um, and then for the person that's, that's in a hole, first thing you got to do is stop digging. Right. You know, mm -hmm. and so you leave that hole is as deep as it is. Stop making it any deeper. And so in another situation of my career, we found out that we were just. We were always living in tomorrow. You know, we were always like, you know, oh, the company is going to do this in in six months. We're going to have this. Uh, or, you know, we're eventually going to be this. Like, we were never living in today, which today we we're at X dollar. Like, literally, today we're at this amount of money. We have these products. We have this ability, you know. And so you, you start living in today because if you're living in tomorrow, you're spending and, and you're planning in a different mindset. I'm not sure if that makes sense to everybody, but... If you're always living in this, like, what my company's going to be, rather than, like, what I literally am today, then you're going to be making decisions differently, and you're going to be making wrong decisions, and you're probably going to be spending more than you should be spending. And so that was the other thing, is um, so many entrepreneurs today are trying so hard to keep up with the, the top guys, the Ferraris, and the Lamborghinis, and the 
bigger houses and the boats and the trips and the everything. Like if you look at all the the mentors and the gurus in the industry, everybody, all of them are spending money out the wazoo. Well, that's because they've reached a certain level of success. And when you reach that high level of success and a Lamborghini is only 10% of your income or whatever, then you can buy one. But you don't go buy in a Lamborghini when that's 80, 90% of your income. Like just because you technically make $2,000 a month doesn't mean you can afford a $2,000 a month car. Yep. If you're making two, if you're making two thousand dollars a month, you can afford a, a two hundred dollar car. Yeah, yeah, I would say like if you if, until you're making two hundred thousand dollars a month, that's when you can afford a two thousand dollar a month car. You know, like people are just spending. Most of the people that are in a hole, you're you're in that hole because you're thinking not about today you're thinking about the future and the what ifs and the the maybes and the could be's you know you need to think about today what's reality and you need to like just drastically cut your expenses yep i agree with that entirely i actually have a rule around that which is if i can't buy three of you i'm not going to buy one of you and that's with everything (laughs) like um like say for instance, if I wanted a new iPhone, I'm like, if I can't, if I can't comfortably justify buying three brand new iPhones completely outright right now, no, the answer is no. Make to that point where you can actually easily buy three of them and then think about it. Yep. All right, that's pretty cool. So, what's your third one? Because there's there's a number three, and this can be as general as you want. Third one, what? third piece of advice because you got you know don't spend too much money for the people in the hole and you also got the other person as well which is like do some scarier shit yeah uh the third one is the guy who's successful no there wasn't like a third person i was just like saying is there something else that you want to add to that (laughs) no there's there's nothing else man that's that's my two big things i'm gonna throw in a third and a fourth one right now because I, I'm surprised you didn't catch on. It's fine. It's all good. It's all, it's all love. Number three, we said it earlier, uh, test your shit to see if it works. And number four, pay Justin some fucking money so he can sort that shit out <laughs> for you. All right? Yeah, that's I mean, that's answer. really the answer to everybody's problem is like, you just got to pay me money and you know, it'll be, everything will be okay. It's how we do things. Come on. But Justin, so glad to have you on the show, man. It's so good to reconnect with you again. Thank you for taking the time for doing this. Absolutely, bro. I can't believe we actually got almost a full hour on 21% battery left. I'm kind of, I'm impressed. 7%. (laughs) Still going. All right, guys, go check out adskills.com. Reach out to Justin. The guy is amazing at what he does. And if you just literally try and get in touch with the guy, he's amazing. His courses are brilliant as well. Um, And everything he delivers is just high value. It's ridiculous. Um, Justin, again, thank you again for being here, man. I really appreciate you. And I'll see you guys in the next episode of uh, Adam Marcy Unplugged.